Hello everybody, welcome to the Williams Project podcast. This is episode 100 and today we're going to be doing a where we are today in the history of Williams Court and we'll slip in some advice and lessons we learnt along the way. So it's a big episode today, number 100. It only took us eight years but we got there, so it's very exciting. I'm very proud of us. Um, I know there are entire years to 100. <laughs> I know there are entire years that we missed episodes, but look, we are committed to providing you value, and we're going to make sure we do it. Now, I know we've got a whole lot of new listeners, and the reason we have new listeners is because our existing listeners are paying the fee. So thank you very much. But what we want to do is we want to give you a bit more of a foundation of where we are today and how we got here. We're gonna try keep it brief, um, keep it efficient as we always do, but it's important to give you guys some framework. So do you wanna start with how we got here or where we are today, Blair? What do you think would frame this podcast better? Probably I think we'll start the history, but Yeah, fast. I think history first and then where we are. Okay, so the, the original business that created Williams Corporation was called Matthew Horncastle Builders. Now, I'm a builder by trade, and in the weekends, I used to go and build decks and fences. Now, that was incorporated in June of 2011. So we're actually in our 11th year as the group. Now, Blair came into the business um, while he was doing his university degree, and we were doing temporary fencing, labour work, like real low-level labour. And we essentially, well, this actually, we were doing low-level labour work, and lots of it was for contract work for my father's company and people around my father's company, associates. Um, Just selling your time by the hour, getting whatever work you can. And then what we did was we spotted an opportunity where the regulations were changing around fencing um, and every site needed a site fence. And so we bought temporary fencing out of China um, and started, that was essentially the foundational business that started to give us cash flow and profitability that was greater than just selling your time for $35 to $40 an hour. Now I don't want to go through that in too much detail but Blair bought into the business, it was like one or two years later, something like that, is semantics. Um, and then from there, we went into, we went into civil contracting. Um, we went into everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, let's go conquer the world, bitches. Yeah. Let's so go to every possible industry and try to start a business. Yeah, so do you want to sort of explain that? Yeah, process? so to summary, to summarise that time, because obviously we want to add value but also keep it short, is we sort of had some success in temporary fencing and sort of entry-level contracting, and say we were making about $100,000 a year, which for two 18, 19-year-olds, you're like, this is fantastic. I'm I think it, I think it was more than that, Blair. I think it was 100000 each. I think that, Yeah, that, it actually that, probably was 100000 each. The business was making two hundred grand. That just the temporary fencing business was making two hundred grand. Yeah. So carry on. Essentially, it's like two, whatever. We, how old we were? Sub twenty year olds making a hundred grand each. You're like, I'm king dick of business. I know everything. And the best way to make a million dollar business is to make ten businesses. Um, so we literally did just that. Spread ourselves quite thin. We thought we'd make a um, 
tech company, rubbish company, solar panel company, uh, civil company, just IT consulting. Whole, yeah, just a whole lot of stuff. I can't remember what else we did. And oh, and we had happened. the builders. Yeah, and we had some builders, and we might have sort of. It was probably slightly after the stage we did our first spec comic, which I'll come to a bit later, but sort of at the peak of this growth world conquering stage, we sort of had a whole lot of businesses that were treating water or like breaking even or turning a tiny, tiny profit. And then it was like the cash flow from the temporary fence that we were essentially living off. And then what happened in the Christchurch market is sort of we hit that critical mass in the earthquake rebuild where the demand started to fall off. Um, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden we went from having a whole lot of businesses that were sort of treading water, making a little bit of money, to a whole lot of businesses sort of losing money and all the spare cash flow from the temporary fencing being eroded through either propping up the losing companies or from the fact the market had just quietened down. And this is sort of 2015 where we really got our teeth kicked in. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, probably was I think it's roughly 2016. So roughly because 2016 was when we started delivering houses and made the switch. And then yes. 2017 was when we went all into houses. So roughly think of it this way. We started early because um, I incorporated that first business that became Williams Corporation when I was 17. Um, so we started early, um, worked really hard with our hands, achieved some success, made some money, thought the way to be successful is if each business makes 200 grand, just go make 10 businesses went into areas where we weren't experienced, where we weren't passionate, got our teeth kicked in. Um, I think we had like a million dollars of tax paid cash and lost all of it in a year. It was something brutal, right, um, as, as, a, as a teenager. And then, um, yeah, yeah, as a teenager. And so then what happened is Blair and I sat down and we had sort of the apocalypse meeting and we we're like, right, what are we going to do? And we liked building houses. And we said, right, let's go all in on building houses and let's burn all the other stuff. So we sat down with the staff one by one, told them that we were struggling and had to make them redundant, paid them their one or two months redundancy. And we were going through like selling trailers, selling utes, oh, it's horrific. selling and just, stuff. And just to clarify, we had, I think, done about five spec homes at this point in time. They were done Hargood Street and Woodlands Place. We sort of on paper sort of knew what we liked doing and what we didn't but yeah we were literally micromanaging the business as far as like what do we have to do today and it's like sell trailer six hundred dollars sell plate compactor one thousand dollars like close it was awful this, close this vodafone bill to save 80 bucks a month yeah awful Shit. awful opportunity i think your timing's a bit right i think that i reckon that we were selling all that stuff Oh, yeah, maybe you're no, right. So anyway, we, we were in the Rick and Road office. I yeah, you're right. Okay, semantics. So so anyway, we go through this horrific time in our life where we had stretched ourselves too thin and gone. But the main thing is we went into industries that we weren't passionate about. If we were passionate about those things, we would have done it, but we weren't passionate about it. We were passionate about housing. And so we get rid of all the staff, go back to essentially me and Blair, and we start our property business. And we were building houses, and we were doing okay, making a bit of dough. And one day, Blair and I were driving through the city in Christchurch. Now, Christchurch had had this earthquake about six years earlier, and it was still in a pretty rough shape. That No one lived in the city. Um, the population in the city had gone from like 8,000 down to like 800. 
and it was looking really rough. No one was there. The businesses that had opened early were struggling. It was a brutal place. And I remember saying to Blair, I would like to be part of rebuilding Christchurch City. And we had no money. And I'm like, that would be something that would be really important to me. And Blair's like, yeah, that, that's something we should do. Like, we, we should put our wee stamp in being involved as early 20-year-olds. And we went on Trade Me, and we found the cheapest site. And there was a 150-square-metre site for sale in the city for about $80,000, I think, from memory. Yeah, was, this is the corner of Worcester Barbados, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. there was a design to build one house, and the house, and you did the maths, and it didn't work. The house was worth um, six hundred grand, and it it just all didn't work. And I sat down with a pen and a paper, and I drew three two-story one-bedroom houses. And I'm like, how cool would these be, Blair? I'm like, they'll be really cheap, and a young professional can buy a house in the city. Um, walk into town and they'll be I think, like I think we worked out they're like the house that was designed on the site was say 150 square metres and worth 600 grand or we could do three one beds which is 150 square metres but they're worth 350 each and you're bringing like a million and fifty and then yeah. all of a sudden the site worked really well yeah and so that's essentially what we did um, and that was the catalyst to going from essentially being a traditional builder like everyone else to an innovative builder that became very large very quickly. Now also another key moment was Williams Corporation Capital. So Williams Corporation Capital is a wholesale finance company. We actually technically have three and we have $150 million under management. And that is one of the main reasons why we can grow so large. We pay our bills on time and we have an exceptional reputation in the marketplace. And the reason we made that is, so we had sacked all of our previous staff, started building houses. I think we're building about 60 houses a year, something like that. Uh, We might have had an accountant, something. And we had this meeting with the bank manager and I won't say what bank or what bank manager, but there was a conversation along the lines of like, I'll tell you how many houses you can build next year. Like he just really belittled us and really stepped on our our young ambitious growth plan. And I walked out of the meeting and said to Blair, or Blair said to me, one of us said, never again are we gonna let a bank manager tell us what we can and can't do with our lives and our business. So we then made a plan essentially to make our own bank. And that's what Williams Corporation Capital is. So we go to um, Kiwis and or wholesale and accredited investors. We take money from them, we pay them a 10% return and we go build houses. And that has been essentially the rocket fuel that supported Williams Corporation. So as of today, it is the 24th of May, 25th of May, I'm just going to go into where we are today, Blair. So you just jump in at any time where you want to take over, right? Yeah, I suppose just before touching on that, I suppose it's just one more gap to add. Once you sort of like started in the multi-unit townhouse thing in Christchurch, made the fund, and then we're sort of going, I think we got up to doing about 180 in Christchurch, and we're like, this is going really good, but also there's risk where all our eggs are in one basket of just Christchurch. And if there's another earthquake, if the market dries up, Mm. if land becomes hard, what do we do? And we're like, 
a few years ago made the mistake of trying to go into different industries, do them part-time, realised that you can't really take over an industry part-time because there's going to be someone that's devoted their entire life full-time to that. So you're a bit naive to think you can sort of do that and win. We're like, the best way to de-risk Williams Corporation is to essentially go and trade in a different city. And that's how Auckland came about. And then when we got Auckland going, we're like, well, we've successfully done this in Auckland. Now let's add Wellington. Okay, Wellington's now going, well, let's add Tauranga. And now we're at the point in the business, and Matthew will cover more detail soon of, what is the risk? And the risk is if something happens in New Zealand, um, we need a plan B, which is now why it's let's have Australia as well. So if the New Zealand market's sort of doing something funny, we've got options in Australia, um, et cetera, et cetera. So just expanding upon that same thought process of when we essentially started in our second office of Auckland. And now yeah, it's the country on. of Australia. And we copy and paste the same business plan. So what was successful in Christchurch is now copy and pasted and it's successful in Auckland, copy and pasted in Wellington, copy and pasted in Tauranga. And you can see each year the business is maturing almost identically um, to what we've done in Christchurch over about a three-year period. Like you can actually see when, yeah. you, when you layer the data, the offices grow almost like baking a cake where you put in the two eggs, you put in this, you put in the oven for an hour or however long you cook a cake for, and it rises and it's amazing. So, but then, yeah, Blair's right. So we've managed our regional risk by opening in different regions, and now we're managing our national risk by if there was a problem nationally, we can offset that with income from another country. Um, and now what we're doing, we mitigated our sales risk by opening an office in Singapore. So back when we only had a business in New Zealand, we essentially had 5 million people that we could sell houses to, right? Being really crude, obviously, there's like people that can't buy houses in that 5 million, but being very crude. In New Zealand, there's 5 million people we can sell houses to. When we opened our sales office in Singapore, there's 5 million people in Singapore. So now we have 10 million people we can sell houses to. Then we opened our office in Australia, there's 35 million people. So now we have 45 million people we can sell houses to that we're directly communicating with. So it's about expanding that available market. And then you say, well, some of those people won't buy in New Zealand. Fantastic. Let's give them Australian options. And now we're at a point where we're like, well, we're really struggling to get sufficient labour to, to deliver all of the technical stuff around these houses. So now we're opening an office in the Philippines as essentially an engine room for architecture, quantity surveying, customer assistance, um, all sorts of services to support the Williams Corporation empire. So as of today, we've got 100, 160 employees across well, employees and direct contractors exclusive contractors yeah yeah um across four countries across nine offices um and we have a 950 million dollar work in progress we have 720 houses sold unconditionally ahead of us just last month we turned over $37 million of delivered houses. And I'm not saying this to brag, I'm just saying this so you, the listener, know when we're talking about stuff, 
we are doing this in real time. We have been doing this for 11 years. We make mistakes and we discuss them. We do things that are really awesome and really smart and discuss them. And we just want you, the listener, to know that you're receiving information from what we believe to be a credible source, which is And us. generally, like, very <laughs> first-hand and recent. Yes, like real like time. Sometimes it's stuff that's, like, might have happened yesterday. Well, I just do a podcast on that and discuss it. Yeah. Whether that be good or bad. But look, I'm I'm I am proud of us. Like it has been a hard eleven years, but it's also been the best thing ever. Like That's I wouldn't great. I wouldn't think I couldn't think of anything else I would rather do than this. Like and I wake also, up It's yeah. one of those things where it's like as you get bigger and more profitable, etc., it doesn't necessarily get easier your problems just get bigger, but you're more equipped to deal with those problems. Like you're You're not stressing about like a $500 selling a trailer, but it feels just as stressful as what it did back then, but just a different level of problem. It's kind of like what Grant Cardone says. He's like, you want million dollar problems. He's like, don't worry about $10. Like go get a proper business, proper machine and proper things to set your mind to every day because they're else just going to get caught up in little things that really aren't that big of a deal. Yeah, completely agree. And you become, I think the first 10 years is the hardest. I think now, day to day, like, not easy, that's not the right word, but we are are resilient business machines that know how to roll up our sleeves and get stuff done. Yeah, I think after 10 years, you're just so used to taking the punches, they just stop hurting anymore. Oh, I think of it like a, a fist fight as well. Where yeah. you're, but you're not punching back. Like you're yeah, in you're the just ring. Walking through. You got people swinging at you. You got blood running down your throat because all your mouth is beat up. And you're like, is that all you got? <laughs> like Lieutenant Dan on Forrest Gump when he's yeah. up on the mast <laughs> in the storm, <laughs> screaming at the gods. So what would be? We want this to be valuable to the listener. The purpose of this podcast is to add value. So what would be your three pieces of advice looking back on the last 10 years of Williams Corporation? Just shooting from the hip, bam. Uh, Shooting from the hip, I'd say, number one, you can achieve substantially more than what you think you're capable of, either as an individual or as a business. Like, um, to keep it short, our goal used to be our goal is to build one house a week and sell one house a week. And that would be absolutely amazing if we could do that and it would change our lives and heaps of other people's lives and we'd have this huge company. Whereas like we did double that last month um, as far as like deliveries. So I think definitely one is you can do a lot more than what you think. Um, Not double, bang on. But we have done double that in a month. Oh yeah, yeah well, month before. Yeah, no, yeah. April, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or April, yeah. March, we were like does semantics, settlements in a month. Yeah. Um, Secondly, probably it does get easier, but there's still like equal amounts of like work to do. It's not like as the business grows and gets more successful, you slowly do yourself out of a job and out of responsibilities. If anything, you've got more things to do, more responsibilities, but to a degree, they're more fun because you can spend more time working on your business, not necessarily in it. Mm, Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's less I mean, tasks you have to do yourself. It's more like management stuff, which is kind of painful, I, but also kind of fun. I'm actually at the point now where I love getting back on the tools, like doing the oh, same so school and stuff. It's so yeah. relaxing. Yeah, I love it. 
Um, and third, that's two. Um, and the third one, as far as what's this meant to be like advice or what I've learned, just what you just learned. you have you have to have fun. And I know it sounds really oh, I like that. cliche and stuff, but like. You don't go, like for example, there's some parts in New Zealand we could go build houses in and not to pick on Dunedin, but it's like, <laughs> even if we could go set up in Dunedin and build houses there, I just wouldn't really enjoy travelling there. I'd find it a bit cold, but like I love going to Auckland, love like meeting people there. It's warmer, it's exciting, we've got a great office, so we do good business there because we enjoy it, whereas if mm. we went to like Dunedin in the middle of winter you'd probably like lose that passion. I think it's important to keep that passion alive. And that's through being with good people, whether it be staff, contractors, suppliers, nice offices, nice cities, nice countries. Um, and also you're going like to yourself. get us like six one-star reviews on the podcast from that Dunedin comment. There's going to yeah. be some passionate Dunedin locals. I've been like, to Dunedin. Fuck you. I just wouldn't do business there. So <laughs> I love you guys. But Sorry, Dunedin. We love you. Okay. Um, right. I'm going to hit with three. Are you happy? Sign it off. I'm going to oh, hit them with three. Lastly, oh. um, I think it's important to reward yourself, but also without taking the piss. Like you should only really be spending less than a quarter of your earnings every year if you want to grow your business. But I think it's important to give yourself those small rewards, um, even if they're materialist. There's nothing wrong with having materialistic fucking hobbies. Well, Blair and I spend 6% each on dumb stuff. So... Try to keep that number as low as possible. Um, right, my three things are start as early as possible in whatever you're trying to do. The best thing I ever did was start at 17 and I wish I started at 16 and I wish the law let me leave school at 15 or 14 or 12 and go to work then. I Maybe 14. If I could do it all again, I would have started at 14, not 17. So or start four. as early as possible. Four. Start at Nail four. belt on. <laughs> Nail belt on. Boots get on. Done. Let's get it done. So the the time to start for anyone, and, and don't, that doesn't mean you have to start your own business. Go listen to our entrepreneur versus entrepreneur episode. But the time to start is now, right? When As early as possible. I don't believe... And like gap years. I know there's people that have had gap years, had a great time, had great experiences. I respect that. I feel you. I don't agree with that, Gary V. You've got time. Start when you're 60, 70, 80. Start now, right? If you've if you've mucked around and haven't started, that's cool as well. I'm not casting judgment on you. I'm just saying start. So that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice, you will overestimate what you can achieve in one year and underestimate what you can achieve in 10 years. So you want to be, Andy Frisella says this, aggressively patient. Push hard every day, push for your goals, try get it done, push and achieve and work hard and give it your all. But you'll probably miss every single one year goal, but at the end of 10 years, you'll be like, wow. Like Blair and I are sitting here at year 11, like I'm sitting in our Brisbane office with our 17 staff here Blair's in the Christchurch like we were we're just doing amazing work like it's cool so you'll overestimate one year and underestimate 10 years and my third piece of advice is you can't do it for the money if you're trying to do it for the money people that just want to win will eat you 
Like there's a there's one. a saying. Yeah, there's a there's a saying that um, someone walking towards a destination will always lose compared to someone that likes walking. Nah, yeah, I've yeah, someone that enjoys the walk will always beat someone. Yeah, that's like it doesn't matter if if you are like if you have the nicest Lamborghini, the hottest girlfriend, whatever that goal is, put on your wall, right? And you're trying to be a property developer. Or, or insert occupation here to have that thing. People like Blair and I, who just love building stuff and love business, and I wake up and I think, how do I make our sales team more effective? How do I operationally get the QS team more transparent? How do we make sure that the design team hands the plans to the QS team in the most effective way? People that just love the process, love the product, that sit there in bed at night thinking about floor plans and yields for customers and customer experience eats money, people. And I see developers that are in it for the money um, and I just chuckle to Blair all the time. I'm like, it's not even, like, they're just... And what's <sighs> good about development is, like, it doesn't really take any prisoners. Like, it's a real bitch in an industry if you're not passionate about it because you'll just get so fed up with the inefficiencies, the multitude of people you deal with, the cock-ups that constantly happen, though there's not like a raw passion for it, you will literally go mad um, trying to get from A to Z. Yeah. More so, so than probably some other industries. So that, guys, is the end of number 100. Um, that's, I didn't want this to come across as us bragging, it's not the intention, but it is important for you to audit where you're getting your information from and hopefully we've proven to you that we are a source of information that you should trust. Um, thank you very much. If you, took, if you took value from this podcast, please pay the fee. Um, it is to share the podcast with one like-minded friend. If you really, really took value from it, um, we would also appreciate a review, preferably five stars, Next episode, we're going to get back into the nitty-gritty technical business. We hope we added value and we appreciate you. Thank you very much.